Hey, bumper away. Hey, this is Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour podcast, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Listen up. Woo! That was awesome. Thank you. Cool, man. Cool, man. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Roger Whitney, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer. How's it going? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I got like the next four days off or so. So I'm uh, I'm getting things done and I'm having a good time doing it. Well, I can tell this is going to be a good show because a lot of my friends have been on the show. Yeah, you know a lot of uh, recent guests. And what that, that's good or bad. I guess they didn't dissuade me away from it. So, so that there def- you go. <laughs> Maybe you haven't talked to anybody lately. Yeah. I don't know. Talk to that guy. <laughs> you talk to him. Oh. You talk to him. What are you, stupid? <laughs> Didn't you listen to the show? <laughs> He's an idiot. <laughs> Maybe I'll figure that out for myself. There you go. Well, most people that know me already know I'm an idiot, but you know, now you get to f- figure it out all by yourself. There you go. It's discovery. Okay, so you are the retirement answer man, and you and I agree on at least one point. That the uh, the baby boomer idea of retirement is kind of ready for bed. Well, I think the baby boomers probably would say it's ready for bed too. They just don't know. They they sort of hitch their wagon to that because that's what their parents did. So I would I, I can tell you actually, baby boomers are veering in ways that they never expected they would be. They're going back to work. That's for one thing. I know that. In a lot of ways, in some reasons, because they want to. They realize that. Yeah. yeah yeah, but I think the the cool thing, though, for you and your audience, that is, as soon as Gen Xers get past what they're being told and realize that that is not the goal and there's different ways to veer, the more creative they can start to be in their lives. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I think another point that I saw in your, in your website and your blog um, was that it's more about coming up with creative ideas to have fun now. Well, uh, it's a little bit of both, right? It is, yes. The way I always explain it, it's like a teeter-totter. For sure. You remember those? Some people don't know those. I do. (laughs) I I had to say, I was talking to a guy in Australia, and he had no clue until I said seesaw, and then he got that. Ah, yes, 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 seesaw. Of course, right. It doesn't matter whether you're 20, 30, or 40. I'm 49. Is We're all trying to make the same calculation when we're making decisions about what to do in our life. And it's how do we live as fully as we can today? And that's, I mean, this is the only day we got. Right. But in the back of our mind, we know the other end of that teeter-totter is how do we make sure we're okay tomorrow? And some people are all in for today and they say, screw tomorrow. And then they're screwed when tomorrow comes. Yes. But there are a lot of people that worry so much about tomorrow that their teeter-totter tilts that way, and they miss the only life they have. Right, right. So it's really about finding that balance. And 
Oh, where a lot of that came from me is when I was growing up, you know, I grew up, my mom was a, you know, single mother and myself and my two sisters. And she was always about working for tomorrow because she had a lot of responsibilities and more than I could even appreciate. Yeah, that was the story. Yeah. And when we were in college, I would have these active discussions with her about, you know, what you're supposed to do with your life and everything else. And I'm young and I'm like, oh, you got to live for today. Have fun. You're crazy. And a lot of that was rebelling from all the stress I saw her put herself under. And she was like, no, you got to take care of tomorrow and everything else. And at the time, I was probably, my teeter-totter was way towards today, and her hers was way too much more for the future. Well, for her, I think I was uh, 22 when she contracted cancer and within a very short period of time died. Oh. So she never actually, she, sac- you know, in my mind, as I've matured as a, an adult and as an advisor, she sacrificed the only life she had for this promise of quote unquote retirement, this promise for enjoyment tomorrow. And it never, she never got to it. She died when she was 48. And I think that's as big a tragedy as somebody getting retired and be, and being broke. There's some balance you got to figure out there. Amen. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, I've got a couple of examples that spring to mind because I'm 46. So my parents are, in their late 70s, you know, almost 80, you know. So they're already in retirement mode. And unlike most of Americans where they live in Michigan, they do, you know, they, they have the little nest egg in their whatever, the IRA that they got from the work. and But they're more or less living day to day off of their Social Security, which is amazing. <laughs> I don't know anywhere else in the country where you can get away with that, right? I mean... It's pretty amazing. Um, and then I've got an aunt, and she's also about the same age, you know, and she's got a lot more money. She's uh, not remarried, but kind of like has a, a buddy. So both my aunt, uh, my uncle died a couple, maybe like three years ago. And then after about a year or so after that, she hooked up with a former friend whose spouse also died. So now they're kind of like living that, like, I call it the timeshare Vita Loca, you know, (laughs) (laughs) where they're driving all the time and spending lots of money, uh, spending lots of time, not money. They're very thrifty, Um, uh, you know, spending time uh, in in various timeshare situations and they're having a blast. So, you know, it, it really does run the gamut of what retirement looks like, even for people retired now. You know, oh, but, totally, totally. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, the, the whole concept of retirement, I mean, it wasn't even around until the 50s and 60s. And then right. really, the force. I mean, people worked until they could not work anymore, literally, physically could not work. And that was the whole point of Social Security originally. But then we get this, you know, baby boomer generation and the generation right before that, where we are the wealthiest nation on earth. And you know, statistically, Americans are very wealthy. And all of a sudden, hey, I could have enough money to retire early and live on the beach and do these types of things. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah, that yeah. concept came up. But if you, what's the root, you know, what's the root definition of the word retire or retirement? It's taking something out of its, it's ended up, its useless use is gone, right? Mm-hmm. right it's being right. 
tired because it is no it no longer has a use or a purpose or an ability anymore. So it's retired. And that worked like for me and you, that probably worked for our grandparents. When they retired in their sixties, they were literally used up. I mean, yeah, I think they were my, wiped out. Yeah, my grandfather, he was worked in a machine shop. He was a postman in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan. Yeah, he was right. a postman in Michigan for years. I mean, when he retired, they moved to Florida and his life consisted of reading books and watching TV and going to the blue light special. Right. At three o'clock. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and that was that that was joy to them because they were used up. Well, if we think of your parents or my, you know, my 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 dad or my, yeah, my they get new knees. They yeah. no, in their sixties, <laughs> they still have gas left in the tank. Right. Yes. But they're so this concept of retiring, you know, from a financial planning perspective, my industry, they're still fighting last generation's battle of getting to retirement and having enough money. Because realistically, our parents are going to live longer than anybody else in history. They're going to have more money statistically than any other generation in history. They're going to have more gas left in their tank and be more active than any generation in, the his, in, in their history. But we're not planning that way. We're still saying retire at 60 and go play golf for the rest of your life. Well, there are a lot of issues with that, not just personally and emotionally, but financially the numbers don't work because they're living so much longer and inflation and everything else. So that's why most people don't plan for retirement because they're like, I can't do it. I look at the numbers and it just doesn't work. So they just don't do anything. Wow. Right, right, right. Instead of making a plan that, Sort of like, okay, you get some sort of balance or, you know, even just put a little bit away just in case. They just figure, oh, I'm just going to keep working. Is that is that what you see? Well, they don't plan it. And then they oh, end, up, end up getting there and realizing they don't have enough money and then end up either right. being or feeling they have to work. Right, right. As if they would have acknowledged that on the front end, they can actually direct the course of their life rather than having it being forced upon them. So the way I look at it, you know, one of my mantras is, well, you know, let's noodle on how to create a life that we don't necessarily want to retire from. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, so, you know, Gen Xers, and I guess I'm on the, I'm technically a Gen Xer, but we, <laughs> I'm we, right on the cusp, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I am too. <laughs> yeah. when, when you ask boomers what their concept of retirement is, they they use two words overwhelmingly. And this is just surveys I do with my audience on my podcast. And it is independence and flexibility. Right. It has nothing to do with you know, like our grandparents. So if it's independence and flexibility, then... It's not about retirement. It's about how do we gain more independence and flexibility as we mature and get older. Right. Then that means, I mean, I'll tell you me, I'm not going to quote unquote retire. I'm trying to balance my teeter-totter right now. And I could easily see myself working into my 60s and 70s. I mean, what would I do? No, no, right. Yeah, because I kind of, I had a mini retirement 
Uh-huh. And uh, and I tried the couch and I tried the pool and I tried riding the bike on the beach. It's just so boring. <laughs> anyway, I had to inject that. Well, totally. And and baby boomers are finding that out because I have a lot of clients that are transitioning into retirement and retired. And what I'm seeing is more and more of them, they'll go through this honeymoon period like you did, right? Right. Do the postcard stuff of, you know, sitting on the beach and riding the bike and stuff. And then they're like, oh, okay, now what? I'm not going to do this for the next this is, 20 years. It's boring. It's not fulfilling. Right. So what ends yeah. up happening is they either start eating peanuts, eating peanuts and drinking beer at 11 in the morning. Right. Right. Or, <laughs> or they, they find shopping or whatever hobby and they get obsessed with that or the, it, it Maybe or golf or something. Yeah. But what ends up happening there, they become consumers and they spend more, which just exasperates what their situation. But what I'm the healthy ones, what I found Jeff is that they actually are going back to work, not always because they have to, but because they want to, because they had their room, right? That right that they were in that they had to be in because of taking care of the family, raising the kids, getting them through college, blah, blah, blah. Right. They're realizing, man, now I have the ability to veer and not work because I have to, but actually to work in something I actually care about. And yeah. it juice from me and that jazzes me. Yeah, it's fun. Exactly. So I'm seeing I'm seeing clients start businesses. That, you know, working outside where they've never worked out before, they're taking hobbies and making money on them. I mean, I got the one lady I know, this is probably eight years ago now, but she made about $90,000 a year repairing flags. Wow. She loved to sew and she had a okay. contact that, uh, that, you know, operated some commercial properties and he had some ripped flags and she was like, oh, I can sew those for you. So she repaired the flags well, he happened to work for a company that had a lot of commercial properties. And in Texas, where I live now, there are lots of flags and it's very windy. Right. So, wow. just and she loves to sew. Yeah. So, was, <laughs> so that is, you know, so for those type of people or for baby boomers or Gen Xers or anybody, if we realize that we can work on pursuing our passions and making money and gaining more flexibility and independence, that changes the whole planning equation. Now it's not traditional retirement planning, which is hammering you to save and invest and sacrifice the only life you have. Right. It changes the whole dynamics of things. Yeah, you know, and that I think I I, re I resonate with that message definitely because I've been working on that since I retired from the Air Force. Um, just coming up with, it's not like I want to change the world. I don't want to, you know, make the next Uber. You know, I don't, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't need to be a billionaire, you know? Um, I just want to, you know, keep my wife happy, you know, give mama just a little shoe money kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, and, and get my ass out of the house. Cause it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because geez, this work from home thing sounds cool until you try to do it. Yeah. And outside of the financial aspects, Jeff, yeah. yes. I, I think, um, a lot of it has to do with from a physical health and a mental health perspective, we end up being a lot happier because we have purpose. Oh, for sure. And that doesn't go away just because you retire at 60 or 65. Right. 
I mean, my father-in-law, who's 73, he walks around the entire neighborhood fixing things because he's bored off his butt and he gets his value by fixing things. Right. Yeah. Both my, uh, <clears throat> my in-laws in Japan, mm-hmm. my, uh, they're both still working. They're, they're basically full-time volunteers. Um, and they've been retired for a long time. They're even closer to 80 than my parents. Um, and uh, I think my ma and my my wife's mother, she's like been like the president of the women's community group for she was trying to get out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that, and they, and they, 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 yeah, they pulled her back in again for another year. And uh, her father has been doing, you know, he first started off doing uh, he was a marriage counselor for uh, young couples that were considering divorce. And before they let them do that in Japan, they, they have them go through counseling. And he did that for several years. And then he got on to be, uh, I, I don't think he got to be president, but he had a, a position that keeps him busy in the, the men's community um, group there where they live in very rural Japan. So they're both, you know, they're not looking to get money, but they definitely needed that what you're talking about, that significance, that purpose, there's something to get them out of the house. And the cool thing that that we have, baby boomers and and exers on down have is that when when my grandparents retired, they there was no internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't connected to anything. They had phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but they had wires on them. Right. Um, now the barriers have come down. So, I mean, pretty much been destroyed for starting businesses, working freelance to, you know, all these types of things. So the world is our oyster in terms of identifying our skill sets and being able to share that with the world and make a little cash on the side. Right. So, but let's bring this back to money for a second. Oh, that's, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. who I am, right? I'm the money guy. Yeah. Um, so here's where the state is. And I think one reason why most people don't plan is that a lot of it's my industry because they're still fighting last generation's battle. If you go to a typical financial planner, and I used to teach the retirement planning process for the CFP curriculum, the Certified Financial Planning Curriculum, so future planners – the standard practice is identify what those goals are, identify what, at, what assets and cash flow they have, figure out what the deficit is, how far behind the eight ball they are, right. and then tell them how much they either need to save more and invest more now. Or work longer. Or sacrifice your life later on. So really the choices end up being save and invest more now, which – I would say sacrifice your life right now, or you better be prepared to sacrifice your life later on. Well, those two options suck. Yes. <laughs> so no wonder people don't want to plan. Right, and right, right. Yes. Logic of all that came out because it's all a savings and investing Modern. dynamic. It's right. a one-dimensional way of thinking about your life. And we're not one-dimensional. We're very multi-dimensional. There's... There's figuring out our passions, figuring out where we can make money, how do we gain more independence by veering at different times in our life. And that is the type of planning I think is much more impactful and that will help you balance that teeter-totter we were talking about. See, that, uh, have you, <clears throat> are you aware of the Tony Robbins money book? I am. Yeah. 
uh, I read that and got a little excited. Um, and what I was hoping to find in that book and did not <laughs> was exactly what you're talking about. And what I wanted to do was say, take some portion of my money, right? And, and shave it off. You know, let's just say, you know, that there's the big pile, right? Can I take a little bit of that money and it somehow invested in myself and rejigger my work life to sort of like make life better now, you know, even yeah. off my teeter-totter. He didn't really deliver that in my mind. I did sort of like tweak my portfolio, but um, I didn't get what, I didn't level off my seesaw completely yet. A little bit. I'm still working on that part. Yeah, I definitely don't think think I, that he delivered on that type of premise. No, 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 he didn't. I was hoping he might. Um, but, you know, there, there, was, there was some value in the book. Overall, I was like, meh, I didn't learn a whole lot out of that book. But I did, uh, I did tweak my asset allocation a little bit. Now, you did talk about something really important. So let's talk about investing. Yeah, let's. Um, you know, investing in markets, we can get to that. But if we think about, if we know, you know, statistically, we're going to live into our 80, late 80s, maybe 90s, maybe 100s, right? Right. Who knows, really? But Who knows? Yeah, right. When we think about investing as a core, let's talk about public investing, right? 401ks and all those other types of things. Yeah. Historically, prior to the 80s, when IRAs and 401ks came about, go back farther than that, decades and decades and decades, the fundamental reason people invested was because they were taking the wealth that they had created and they wanted to preserve and grow their wealth over time. Right. All right. And then we had 401ks come and where we didn't have pensions anymore and we became responsible for our financial future, which caused the rise of all those, you know, geeky financial planners like me. <laughs> and then then investing morphed, it veered to becoming about creating wealth, right? You know, I remember when I was young in the business, oh, just keep, you know, sending me so much a year and look at these charts, you'll be a millionaire. We'll create the wealth by you just sending me more and more money. Right. So investing became more about and that model is still going up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it became more about investing is how you create wealth, not how you preserve and grow wealth. Right. And that, it sounds subtle, but this is really important because it is a big difference. Yeah. Because if it's about creating wealth, well, one, you have a lot less control over investing in what happens in the markets and the economy. Right. right? So you've abdicated a lot of power. And two, that tells you right there if you if it's about creating wealth you're going to have to take a lot more investment risk which means you're going to experience lots of more volatility. Yeah, and not a lot of people can handle that kind of uh, stomach churn. Right. So <laughs> let's go back. So if investing isn't what creates wealth, if it's really supposed to preserve and grow it. It is. What creates wealth? Usually either a business or a job or some sort of Tim Ferriss muse. Yeah. And who does that? Or real estate, you. Yeah. Or in, <laughs> you, the investor. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and this goes back to what you were talking about. You, Jeff, you listener, you are the engine of creating wealth. The way you create wealth is you earn money, whether it's through a business and revenue or through a job, right? You earn money. That's your revenue. Right. 
And then you have your expenses, your lifestyle, which is your overhead. The difference between those two, assuming it's positive, is wealth that is created. And the more free cash flow you have, the more excess money you have after your expenses, the quicker you'll create wealth. And then then your decision is, okay, what do I do with this wealth to reinvest in myself? So I'm going back to your point. It's a really long way of getting back there, maybe. No, I like it. I'm following you. I'm with you. So if you're in your 20s, 30s, or 40s, and even your 50s, it's not just about put more money in a 401k or an IRA or some investment. It's Mm, how do I invest in myself to increase my wealth generation capacity, right? For sure. And yeah, a lot of people talk about budgeting, you know, controlling expenses. If you Google budgeting, I mean, Lord knows how many sites you'll get. It'll be a ton. Yeah. But the problem with budgeting and controlling expenses, yeah, you got to do it. It's important. But you can't really move the dial significantly. There's only so much frugaling you can do. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you're right. Cutting out HBO isn't going to move the dial in my life. Right, right. But if I spend time on investing in my professional network, investing in my skill set, investing in a side hustle or my individual business, that can move the dial in a huge way. It's true. It's, it's huge. So well, that's scary, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, congratulations, you're the captain. And you're like, oh crap, I'm the captain. Exactly. <laughs> right? The honeymoon wears off quickly and it gets scary. Right, right. Yeah. But I, that brings back the power to you of, okay, what what can I do? So, and, and the problem with normal financial advisors is they only make money in investing, and that's the only way they're trained, so that's always going to be the solution. Yeah, and they're apt to churn, too. Well, I mean, they're, they're always going to be all flavors of that, but they don't understand balance sheets and the multi-dimensional way that we actually are. So it's really about, okay, how do I, yeah, I got to do these normal investments, but how do I invest in myself? Right. They're not going to talk about that at all in the traditional financial manager. No, probably. I actually went through one of those financial management, uh, little deals that came with another investment package that I, that I got. It was great. I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't what I was expecting to get. It was just, you know, like, I did most of the work and then <laughs> and then they, you know, took the data that I gave them and then spit out what it would look like in 40 years or something like that. Right. In in a in a whole lot of uh spreadsheet thingy. And uh and I was like the value in this was the value that I put into it. For me, well, that's that's what I got out of it. Their spreadsheet didn't really tell me much. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, let's. Right? Let's talk about you know, this, this, what we're trying to accomplish here. See, the, the perception of perfection is something that the finance industry likes to present. We got the French cuffs, we got the beautiful tables, we got fancy statistical terms we talk about. You know, it's Wall Street, right? Right. And the fundamental value proposition is we are so smart and we have so many smart people and tools that we can helped forecast the future and tell you where you should zig and tell you where you should zag, right? Right. And, you know, sort of like the spreadsheet projecting, okay, Jeff, this is where you're going to be when you're 65. Right, right. Well, that's bull. It is. Because the the future is fundamentally unknowable. Right. 
which is another really scary thing. So I'm not only the captain of my ship, but I'm driving around in the fog and I don't know. It's only goes so far. Right. And so you, you know, so it feels comforting to latch onto a, someone that has the perception of perfection that says, Oh, don't worry. I know where we're going. And then that, that makes us feel good on the short term, but it doesn't really, because they don't know where we're going or where you're going. So a key to the process that I use, and it only took me 20 years to get knocked in the head to figure this out. <laughs> let's not try to figure anything out. Let's make some reasonable assumptions on our life and on markets and on things. But let's make sure that we focus more on managing through the uncertainty than trying to get rid of the uncertainty. Because the uncertainty you're not getting rid of. You may fool yourself and think you've gotten rid of it, but you're not. Right, right. So, you know, it's about having all these little conversations and making all these little course adjustments. So as reality unfolds, you're making those little adjustments so you don't go driving off a cliff. For sure. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a much more, that, that approaches. It's more realistic. Yeah. It's, and it, yeah. And it approaches it with a lot more humility of, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I mean, it's yeah. what's going to happen in this election or the market. Right, right. We bluntly, Jeff, I mean, you can tell me this. I know you veered a lot. I mean, think of all those veers. You didn't foresee all those. No. They just evolved as you evolved. And as you a, just got a deal. Right. So the key is how do I have a framework to have all these little discussions so I can make sure I'm adjusting my life as I veer? Because you don't want your your priorities and the things you care about to go one way and your, your rest of your financial life go in a whole different direction. Amen. <laughs> that would not be good. If, uh, if you're going to work with somebody, um, I don't know, what, what, is it, what does that look like, your client relationship? My client relationship? So I, I have two types of client relationships. I have what I call transactions where I'm paid a flat fee to create a roadmap and create the action steps that need to be implemented to get everything in line with what people care about okay. and give them a framework. And then they go take that roadmap and they go implement it on their own. And, and that's flat fee. Okay. That's flat fee. And I always work as a fiduciary, which just basically means I don't sell any investment product. I just, I, I get paid by the client and I have a legal obligation to do what's in their best interest. Right, right. And then, but the majority of my business are clients that I, I, I walk life with. So we manage their financial assets. We help them manage their balance sheet. But most importantly, we have those, we make sure those little conversations happen. Right. So all the client has to do is show up. I have checklists for everything. And then we walk through all the little conversations. And those can be hard conversations to have. Well, that's, <laughs> that's actually a good statement. So I have a story around that. You want me okay. to tell it? Yes, please. Okay. Well, you're married, right? I you're am, yes. A, a, a beautiful Japanese lady. That's how long, right. How long have you been married? Since 1993, and I'm bad at math, and you're good at math. So I, I Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 23 years, right? There you go, yeah. Uh, I only know that because, I no, that's, it might be 24. No, it's 23. I've been married 25 years. So let me ask you this, Jeff. What is the secret? To a good marriage. Hmm. The What's secret, your secret? My yeah. secret to a Keep good playing. marriage 
Um, let's see. I'm trying to come up with something funny. <laughs> <laughs> How about knowing each other's place? There you go. It would mean you better know your place, right? Right. And I'm in the back seat and she's driving. No. <laughs> Um, you know, so, I think it's about compromise. What, uh, what do you think? Well, I think, uh, yeah, compromise is it. And, and I don't think there's an exact right answer. Right. I'm a little right. bit more pragmatic. And I've been married 25 years. My secret to a good marriage, and I'm not going to see I practice it as well as I should, is I never want to have a big conversation with my wife. And what I mean by that is, is I want to make sure that we're having enough little conversations when so when something happens and either my priorities change and how I'm thinking about my life or something's annoying me or something's annoying her, I would rather address it when it's not a big issue. Ah, uh, that's right? good. Right, right, right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Two weeks ago, I shared something about my wife on my podcast about something she does that annoys me. <laughs> that was smart. It was uh, smart. So she never listens to it. So we're in the kitchen and I'm like, hey, honey, I shared, I talked about you in my podcast today. And she's like, well, what'd you talk about? And I said, well, I talked about how you leave your plates out and you, you leave your dental floss on it and how it annoyed me. And she goes, no, you didn't. I'm like, yeah, I did. But I made it all good. I made it, I made you look good at the end. And then about 30 minutes later, she comes back to me and goes, she goes, don't do that again. Like, okay, I won't do that again. Now, she could have not said anything and just said, what a jerk, and let that fester in her. But she addressed it with me when it was there, and it was not super comfortable, but it wasn't bad because it was small. It was still little. Right. And I've handled divorces with clients where it could have been the toilet seat up for 30 years. They don't even know why they hate each other. They just hate each other, and it's because they let things fester that never got addressed. Understood. So in your financial philosophy, I like that. Yeah. So in your financial life, it's exactly the same thing. You know, yes, some conversations can be uncomfortable, but the quicker you have them, the more flexibility you have in adjusting. Right. The more, the, if something's going wrong, the quicker you identify it, the more you can mitigate some of the the consequences of it. For sure. So I, uh, you know, for the people I walk life with, I am, you know, because. In my own life, I it's hard to have these discussions because I want to go home and be with my kids. So I may, so I hold the meeting, I have the checklist, and they just have to show up and we have those conversations. And I help facilitate that. It can get ugly, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it can. I mean, especially a, a really good example. Just because is, we don't, as a, a you know, I, that's uh, not a judgment. It's just like, I think it's more of a societal thing that, we just don't talk about money enough, probably. Well, and one person usually handles it, right? Right. Usually it's a delegation of duties. I've seen it where it's the wife or where it's the husband. Right. And the other one is generally clueless because they don't right. want that. It's not their forte and they don't want to be. So one starts making decisions for both. Yeah. That's, that works well until it doesn't. And we, that, have, we have a team thing, and let me run this by and see if it, uh, if it uh, passes your uh, retirement answer man sort of uh, screen of integrity. I don't know. I'm making <laughs> shit up now. Um, <laughs> so my wife deals with the checkbook, and, uh, and, she, and she's very like accountant-like with the credit card receipts. And any time I spend money, I have to 
you know, report and, and give uh, fiduciary evidence of, of such, <laughs> said, such, such expense. Um, <clears throat> and then when she uh, has enough of money, when she has accumulated enough wealth, she says, please transfer, transfer X amount of money into the big money account. And I say, okay. And then I go do that and I print it out and I, and I give the evidence of transfer to, to her and she <laughs> deducts it, right? So, and then once I have it, then it's my job to figure out where in the pile that fits. Basically, we're I mean, on your net worth. Yeah, what, yeah. How do you deploy that capital on your net worth? Correct. Yeah, that works. It's yeah. a delegation of duties. And it'd be good like every six months over wine or something to, you know, so she sees the net worth statement and you right. understand. Yeah. Well, everyone, you know, the way it works with us is, um, and she'll just candidly say, how big's the pile? <laughs> That's generally all she really cares about. And then, you know, she'll say, why isn't it so much bigger? And I'll go, eh, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that can be, that can be good or bad in terms. Well, and I'll show it to her. I'll go, you know, it's not like I'm spending all the money on, you know, like wine, woman and song without you knowing about it. It's just the, the market's down now, honey. Yeah. Right. 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 Well, I mean, it, it, it's, you got to find the balance with everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the more involved everybody can be in the conversation, the better it is. Yeah, you know, and I've I I learned in my twenties that if there's cash in my wallet, it's basically spent. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. I I have a my own system for capturing that excess income, so I don't spend it because I'll buy I'll buy something. <laughs> You'll figure out some way to give yourself a dopamine hit with uh, what do they call that retail therapy? You know. <laughs> For me, it's technology stuff or oh, buy. Yeah, yeah, buy something geeky or yeah. oh, you, you're into cycling too. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. You know, you know, you know. There's a mathematical equation for how many bicycles you should own. Really? I, I told my wife this. It's n plus one. N is the number of bicycles you have. Yes. Plus one. Makes sense. <laughs> that's that's how many I have. Yeah, you have. <laughs> there's. Oh, I probably need one more. Yeah, well, my um my wife when I bought my bike shortly after, I uh she said, "I want a bike." And I, I tried to talk her out of it and using this story of um when we first got married and we were living in Hawaii, um there she had to uh walk from our house at the bottom of a hill. Uh, about, nah, I don't even know how far it was. Maybe a thirty-minute walk, but most of it was uphill to the bus stop to take the bu- uh, to take the bus to work. And she was so enamored with the idea of getting a moped for this purpose, right? To elevate to to make that trek up that hill. So, blah blah blah. She didn't want an expensive one. She didn't run want a real moped. We spent I don't even know how long. And uh, finding this moped, buying this moped, and then getting her a helmet, and she never rode it once. <laughs> <laughs> right? She, she might not be happy you shared that story on the podcast. Well, I think I've shared it before. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I have these moped purchases looming, I try to like give her the moped store, and I'm like, you know, you know, she came up to me and said. I want a bread machine. And I said, moped. And she went away in a huff. You know? 
and and then she came back and went, "You're right. It's a moped. I don't want to. I don't want a bread machine." I was excited about making bread, though. <laughs> Well, that's a really good point, though, because we have this, you know, it, that you call it dopamine and consumer fix. We have this buy it, get it, forget it. Amen. Yeah. It's what is that? Cycle, you know, and it is, you know, you buy the promise of something and it fulfills some unconscious need for something. Then what, as soon as you get it, you'll go get it from Amazon, you'll unwrap the box, you'll open it out of the box, you'll set it on the table, and then you'll forget about it. Right. And it's a weird cycle that we've, I think we've been trained in it through advertising. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole it. other conversation. Yeah, that's brainwashing 101 right there. <laughs> but we all do it. Isn't it great? Yeah, all right. So let's, let's talk about some of those three things everything can do right now for a better future. And if, you can, and if we can shape these into stories, that would be awesome. Okay. Well, there's, well let's talk about the three investments you can sure, make. For sure. The three best investments. And we've already covered one of them. Okay. What's to invest in yourself? Right. So from that a would be like standpoint. going to school or doing a workshop or yeah. hiring somebody to take. So here's a, here's a really good story related to that. Okay. I, have, I have a gentleman who is a C-level executive at companies, and he quits his job every five years. Even, wow. if, he, even if he likes it. Every five or so years, he'll quit without a, without a new job. Okay. And he'll take a year or so off to be with his two daughters and his family, and then he'll go get another job. We're like, well, how the heck do you do that? Most people are afraid of losing their job, and if they quit their job, they better have another one lined up. Right. So he does a lot of financial things right, but he is fanatical about maintaining his professional network. I mean, he is amazing at it. He makes one or two phone calls almost every single day to wish somebody happy birthday. So oh, do, wow. the, do the math on how many people that is. And then, and I'm not making this up. He sent three or four emails almost every day wishing somebody a happy birthday that doesn't warrant a call. Okay. And so <laughs> every job that he's ever gotten is through somebody unsolicited saying, hey, this is a great opportunity. This guy over here, he has a skill set. It I just, don't know why I like this guy, but I like this guy. <laughs> he's he's fanatical. I don't have that same discipline for that type of thing. But that's, like a, that. that's a good strategy, though. Investing in your professional network, even if you work at a corporation, it doesn't have to be a business aspect. Right. So that's, I think, a huge investment we can make to start really creating a better life. Now, the second investment that we can make, we've also talked about, which is investing in your relationships. Now, we know the wife, right? Yeah. We also need to invest in our personal relationships and friend relationships. And it's not just about having friends, but if we're going to be living a lot longer, and I've had some of these conversations recently, what will happen is, and we may not appreciate this now, that our network will begin to die off. Oh, and Yeah, right, yes. I mean, literally die off. And they'll also begin to move away in different seasons of life. And I know people that are struggling with this right now that they become lonelier and lonelier and lonelier because they never kept refreshing the social networks that they've had. Right. Uh, and that's really important for us to do. I'm 49 and I tell my wife, we don't have enough friends. All my friends don't live here. They live right, other right. places because I've went out and found them. And I'm like, I got to go. I'm doing CrossFit right now. That's my deal. And I'm like, I'm trying to make friends. 
Yeah. Will, will you be my friend? I go up to him. <laughs> be my friend. Amen. No, I, I totally get what you're talking about because, uh, you know, when you're, when I was in the military for 20 years. So, uh, you know, that is, you don't know how good you have it because you, you know, you're always cursing yeah, everything, what you're doing, but you have this amazing network and it becomes global of all these people that, you know, you've, were, you know, quote unquote in the trenches, not really, but you know, you went through some tough times and you know, those relationships, even it, I've got like lots of folks that, you know, if I were to go see them again, we'd pick off, like r- pick up right where we s- left off, but I'm not very good at, you know, doing the refresh that, that's yeah, well, we, we all get caught up in our own daily, right, 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 right. right. So I think investing in the relationships, obviously your family and your children, your wife, but also your social relationships, because that is something, you know, what we hit up. Yeah. That is going to really have an impact on the quality of your life over long term. So you got to be intentional about that. And then the last one that we have to be intentional about is investing in our health. Now, everybody, oh, yeah, I know. Okay, go exercise, eat right. (laughs) It's a big deal. It's a huge deal, and we don't appreciate why it's a huge deal. Because here's the dirty little secret about that, Jeff. Okay, if you don't invest in your health, you'll probably live almost as long. So you're like, oh, well, then why the heck do it? You'll probably live almost as long. It's just going to suck more. Amen. Because you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. You're going to wake up feeling bad every day. You're going to be sore. You're going to be... It's just going to suck more. Yeah, for sure. You know, that um, part of my screwing around after I retired was I did a massage school. And through that, I got into what I hope to be a lifelong yoga practice. I just love yoga. It's my CrossFit. Um, I try to make friends there, too. <laughs> but, you know, it's all about that lifelong pain-free motion. Can you send me a picture of you in yoga tights, by the way? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I won't share. I won't share. Trust me. Sure, Roger. I'll do that right away. Not. <laughs> no, I didn't come out quite you, the way I meant you, it. You really don't want that. Trust me. <laughs> I can't make friends. I ask questions like that. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about what you do on your website, your blog, and your podcast. Sure. Well, the Retirement Answer Man podcast is me noodling on all of these things. I mean, I've walked the journey with countless people preparing for, you know, later years in life and preparing for independence and living independently. And so I just share all the wisdom I've gleaned from all of those journeys. And then I have great listeners that email lots of questions and have come on and shared their stories. So we try to share the collective wisdom. And we talk about money. We talk about what's going on in the markets. We talk about investment strategy. But we also talk about how to be healthier, how to be happier, and how to execute smart sprints is what I call them, of how do we take really quick sprints to keep moving the ball forward. So mm. it's, it's about creating... Like that. Yeah, smart sprint. Yeah, yeah just, that's, I haven't trademarked it yet, so don't do that. Uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the military, they call that a surge capability. There you go. A yeah. surge. There you go. Um, and so we talk about that every every week on the podcast, and then we do webinars. And I have a six shot Saturday email where I I email out what I'm noodling on about those topics, and it's been a wonderful journey. And I hone my craft in it, 
uh, because I'm walking life with clients every day. So it's a great way for me to hone my craft and share some wisdom and learn a lot from everybody that is part of it. Yeah. And you're keeping your skills up too. Uh, yeah. I love it. That's part of my investing in myself. That's awesome. This has been a blast, Roger. This, and we, uh, here's the thing is we hardly talked about money. Should we talk about asset allocation at all? That's the easy part. I know. <laughs> Good for you. Thanks for thanks for you know taking the uh, the, the air out of that question. <laughs> it is the easy part. You just look at a pie chart and then you do it. <laughs> yeah, What's, it's the mental side. That's where the game right, is. Right, right. What's so hard about that? Amen. All right. Well, hey, this has been a blast, and uh, I'm going to reach out later on and uh, and keep in touch, like you just taught me to do. And uh, we'll have you back on the show and and noodle around some more and talk about some more rooming and beer. Awesome, Jeff. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.